You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. My name's Alan. I'm on staff here at Illini Life. I've um, been a uh, part of this church since 2004. I got a chance to watch the Illini play in the national championship game in basketball uh, my freshman year, um, and I'm still still mad about it. But um, all right, guys, I got something to tell you. You're in charge. Have you, have you ever heard that phrase from your mom, maybe a teacher? Hey, you're in charge of this. Hey, you got to watch the pet now. You're in charge of your sister while I run to the grocery store. You're in charge. We all we all have situations like this. I was thinking about some. Um, I uh, my freshman year here, um, I got handed the small group discussion questions. It was like, "Hey, can you lead this?" And I was like, Whoa. "It went okay. It was not a disaster." What was a disaster was the time I was asked to be in charge of a spring break mission trip team uh, to uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Um, we got to we were just tearing part, homes apart, and I remember it was it was. It's kind of sobering work, but it's also like just fun work because you're demo, demoing things. But it's people's lives and memories. And I remember this moment where we found a bowling ball in a house. And we thought, well, we have to demolish it in the house. If we have to demolish a house, we're going to do it. And so we start throwing this bowling ball through the walls to tear the walls down, which was super fun, but also super insensitive to the neighbors who were watching us uh, tear apart their neighbor's house with a bowling ball. Um, and the, the staff person who was in charge of the trip came up and said, hey, you guys probably should not be doing that. I got a chance to like... Um, you know, be corrected on that. Um, so sometimes going, being in charge goes well. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Another mission trip, I pulled away from a gas tank or a, a gas pump with the pump still in the van. Um, those things are designed to come off. Don't worry, guys. It's, it works out just fine. Um, and today, I have the opportunity to be in charge of bringing God's word to you guys. Um, and I hope that's one of the things that goes well, frankly. Um, so each Sunday here at Align Our Life, we open up God's Word together. And I love that. I love that we get a chance to open up God's Word together in our small group studies. Our question on, co- on Fridays of Coffee usually is related to our Sunday topic. And so um, this week, the question was, what's something cool that you're working on? Implying what's something you're in charge of? What's something you're like taking care of? Um, and uh, I hope that you have a chance to engage in the passage personally as well. But here on Sunday is kind of like the lecture section where we get a chance to say, all right, this is what we're trying to arrive at as a church. This is where we think our church uh, needs to hear how this passage applies to us. Um, And this passage this week is conveniently about somebody somebody being asked to take care of something. Wow, that's amazing. Um, um, We've all got stuff to care for. And this parable, um, while it does, we're going to hear a parable from Jesus, while it does have a purpose, it also is a very normal situation. A landowner buys a vineyard, hires tenants to work it, and take care of something for him. Tenant farming, super normal in that time. Um, it, we don't have a ton of that these days, but it's a very normal situation in the time that Jesus was teaching. Um, but what happens when Jesus tells this story is we see a conflict brewing between him and the religious leadership of, of Israel at the time. Before we talk about that, I want to talk about how we got here. So we've been in the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark essentially this whole semester. Uh, And Mark's gospel uh, is really fast. Um, It's an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, And he he starts out by saying, this is uh, the good word. Uh, This is the story of Jesus, the son of God. So he starts off with that. And from last week in Mark 10 to Mark 11, we see 
um, which is what we're going to, or to Mark 11, which is what we're, I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to recap here. Um, Jesus predicts that he's going to die a third time. Um, he tells the disciples that they don't need to worry about who's the best, and he heals a blind man. But perhaps the most bold and important and memorable moment in the sp- space between last week's chapter of the young rich ruler and this week's chapter um, is Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And for those of you that know, this is the last week of Jesus' life that this teaching is going to come from. Uh, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. He's hailed as the king of Israel, um, which you know is not like super liked by the people who are actually in charge of Israel. And there's a tension that's created. And this conversation that Jesus gives, it flows out of that tension. So he goes to the temple, and he just, his authority to be king is challenged. Um, they're civil enough society that they want to talk to him before they like string him up on a cross. And so they talk to him for a while about it. And then he tells this story, which is what we're going to look at today. Um, so we are uh, going to look at this parable of this vineyard. Um, and uh, if you want to go to that, Rod, the vineyard, perfect. Lovely. Doesn't it look great? It's a good looking vineyard. Um, uh, we're going to hear a story that Jesus is telling in Mark chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can pull it up in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen. And I want to he- li- just have you listen to this as Jesus tells us. We're going to hear the story um, from Mark's ears. I'm going to recap it for us, and then we're going to talk about the implications for the people who heard it, and then the implications for us. Does that make sense? Okay. So how about we listen to Jesus tell this story? This is Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, I got a chance to sit in on a couple of our small group Bible studies this week on this passage, and you guys get it. You guys know what this parable is about. Like, it's not, like, it's not complicated. It's pretty transparent if you grew up as a Christian. But imagine not being a Christian for a second. Imagine not knowing the language of son and things like that. Let's just walk through this story again, okay? Imagine hearing it from the, eye, the ears of the religious leaders he's talking to. All right, so here's what happens. A man plants a vineyard. He hires tenant farmers to tend to his land. 
Those tenant farmers push against the owner's messengers. The owner sends his son. The tenants kill the son. The landowner replaces the tenants. Jesus quotes Psalm 118, and the religious leaders are infuriated by Jesus. Now, if this makes sense, like this parable, like the, the religious leaders would have been on the landowner's side. They've been like, hey, that's right, that's just. It was normal to have bad tenant farmers at that time. And so the story Jesus is telling is saying, hey, uh, this is how things go. When you have a bad tenant farmer, you want to take care of it and like restore the things to who they belong to. Does that make sense? And so they would track with the story. They would be like, yeah, that's the way it goes. And yet they get mad at him and they say he's telling the story against them. Why? But why? Well, I'll tell you what, it all starts with the vineyard, okay? So let's start there. Um, See, when in Jesus' time, when you were a religious leader, when you were a religious elite, you had a lot of passages memorized. You, particularly when you were a leader of Israel, you had a lot of the the scriptures memorized. And so you would have had references and things to understand, things to point to. Kind of like when you have J.D. up here and he's like, and then this, and then this, and there's this passage over here. And like, wow, you've got it cataloged in your brain. It's fantastic. These guys had it even more so. And so when Jesus starts talking about a vineyard and uses the language he's using, it would have hyperlinked in these guys' brains to Isaiah chapter 5. And you can look at this. Um, my loved one had a vineyard. There's a vineyard. Uh, let's pull up these similar motifs even. Um, if you want to go to the next one. There's a watchtower on a wine press, a wine press, a watchtower. Um, and they were sort of understood at the very least that he's telling a story about a modern day experience, but also drawing it back to Isaiah. Because Isaiah is talking about um, the rulers and leaders of Israel at the time and Israel as a whole and saying, you guys produced bad fruit. And in the time of Isaiah, Absolutely. They produced terrible fruit, bitter fruit. They were not doing a good job as God's people. When Jesus tells this parable, though, he does not talk about the fruit. In fact, he says, hey, there's good fruit. I would like some of it. Uh, The landowner says that to the tenant farmers. They don't give it to him. And so when Isaiah critiques the vineyard, uh, Mark is pointing out that Jesus is critiquing the tenants. Does this make sense? And so he takes this passage from Isaiah where Israel would have understood, hey, we were bad, we did not do a good job, but now we've got it, we got it figured out. And he says, it's not about the fruit right now when I'm talking to you guys, it's about the tenants of the farm. And so he's focusing in on the tenants of the farm, the leaders of the farm, the people who are in charge. And in many ways, they would have been comfortable with some of this, like, hey, the prophets were rejected. You can go to the next slide, Rod. Um, but Jesus says the Savior will be rejected. The, the promised Savior that you're hoping for is going to be rejected. You're going to miss it. Does this make sense? And so Jesus is saying the Savior is coming and you are going to miss it. That's all we have right now, okay? Like, just remember, Jesus is, to them, he may or may not be talking about himself. We're gonna get to how he's talking about himself, but right now, they'd be frustrated because Jesus is critiquing the tenants, not the farm. He's not critiquing all of Israel, although it's a right critique. He is pointing specifically to them as the leaders of Israel and where they've taken the farm to. But remember I said Jesus also quotes something. He quotes Psalm 118. Um, can we pull that up here? Um, this is that, that section that Jesus says, he says the stone has been rejected, has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
This is a fun little passage. I feel like we hear this. This is why our sister church at uh, Illinois State is called Cornerstone because Christ is the cornerstone. He was rejected and it's glorious in God's, it's marvelous in our eyes. Go to the next slide. We're going to get nerdy here for a second. Um, if you're here with us a couple weeks, you'll get it. Uh, go if you don't, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, you're not going to get it and that's fine. Um, that's why you come every week. You get the memes. Okay. Um, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. Let's go back to that. Psalm 118 is beautiful. It is something that we would call messianic. And the reason we call it messianic is because it points to the Savior. But in its time, it was a Psalm of David writing about himself. He's saying the stone that was rejected, the youngest son, the little runt was rejected and has become the cornerstone of Israel. It is a good thing in God's eyes that it has happened. And then he's calling on God to save them. Go on to the next section here. The Lord has done this in this very day because Israel won a battle. He's celebrating. Let's rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Super cool passage. Like it's inspiring. It's about David. But David, little did he know, he was being prophetic. And I don't have an opportunity to talk about why prophecy is prophecy and things like that. But let me just say, over the course of church history, again and again, this passage is considered messianic, meaning it points to the Savior. It points to the Messiah, which is Savior of Israel. And something about that clicked for the people of Israel at that time. Because while the first part of that is quoted in Mark chapter 12, the second part of this is quoted in Mark chapter 11. Go to the next slide. There we go. At the triumphant entry. And I love this. This is so cool, guys. Like, this is like, Jesus is like, hey, guess what? It's me. Waving his hands. Because the people of Israel just sang this song The Lord, the Lord um, grant us success. Hosanna, the Lord is coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, Jesus, you are the king. He's welcoming that on a donkey coming into town. And then instead of in front of the religious leaders taking the opportunity to deny that, he doubles down on that and says, I'm going to quote from Psalm 118 about this rejected savior. And I'm going to tell you it is me. Without a doubt, I'm pointing to myself. So if, if you ever feel like somebody's like, well, Jesus is awesome, but he didn't say he was the son of God, point him to this stuff. Point him to Mark 12. Point him to Psalm 118. Say, Hey, can you help me make sense of this? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus is flat out pointing out he is the Son of God, the Savior. I just love that. I love how Jesus works in the scriptures and says something without having to like wave his hands and say it. Okay, so this lands us here at at these three things. So first off, Jesus said the prophets would be rejected. That happened. The the vineyard owner sent his messengers. They were killed. They were rejected. Jesus says the promised Savior would be rejected. But then Jesus also says he is the promised Savior that will be rejected. And so the leaders of Israel have a choice. They have the opportunity to not reject him and let somebody else do the rejecting, or they have the opportunity to lean right into it and say, uh, actually, we kind of want to arrest this guy, but the crowds like him right now, and so we got to figure out a different way to do it. More of that week to come, um, leading up to Christ's crucifixion. And this is really cool. Here's, let me just say it flat out. Jesus is critiquing the leaders of Israel. He's is saying, you guys have led my people astray. Now, we all have our own choices. We're going to get into that, but like God holds his leaders accountable. And as somebody who's speaking up here at church, as somebody who has led people and seen people walk away from Jesus while leading people, that is a sobering message. It's a hard message to hear. 
I want you to know, like, I take it deeply to heart that we as your staff, and I know your elders care about you guys walking with Christ. That's, that's it's a deep desire, and we know God is holding us accountable. Um, so how does that, this message play out for us today, for all of us? First off, you are loved. You understand this? The vineyard owner, God, is willing to send his own son to reclaim his farm, to reclaim his people. And that is massive. See, when the passage says the son that he loved, it's, that's language for only son. Like that's common language of the day for like only son. The son that I loved, my only son. He sent his only son because he cared that much about the vineyard. He wasn't willing to cut his losses. He wasn't willing to say this fruit is bad for a while. He wasn't willing to say the tenants are too crazy. He was not going to cut his losses. He sent his heir, his representative, to be with you. You are loved. You understand that? And that's just, I need that. The second thing to do with this is know that God holds leaders accountable. God indeed holds leaders accountable. And for those of you that are small group leaders, God holds you accountable to doing what you've been asked to do. Not everything, you're not responsible for, for everybody's bit of their life, but you guys are accountable to faithfully studying God's word. If you're leading in a crew or on us in our coffee tent, we want you to be held accountable to what you feel like you're called to do. But ultimately, God holds the pastors and shepherds and leaders of churches accountable. And the third thing I want you to know from this passage is that God wins. The vineyard uh, tenants are like, hey, if we kill the son, we might get to keep the inheritance. Um, he's like, nope. Like, and I don't know what he did to, to, in that particular vineyard uh, parable, but he made sure that the farm was his again. The vineyard was his again. Now, we know how it works in, in our lives, in real life. Like, Jesus rose from the dead. Crazy. Um, sometimes I'm like, wait, I believe that? Yes, I believe that. Uh, and established a new kingdom with a new cornerstone an everlasting kingdom with Christ as the head. And I think, I just want you guys to think about this passage for a little bit, um, particularly in light of that it's so natural to want to fight back against God with something that he's given us. And that, that's maybe like where I want to say God does hold leaders accountable, but I think he holds all of us accountable in some way, shape, or form. We've all been given something in the vineyard. We've been given a little seedling. We've been given a row. We've been given an acre. We've been given something to take care of. And we are all accountable to God. We are loved, but we are accountable. We are all tenants underneath the owner of the vineyard in this parable. Um, these tenants... If, if you take the parable away, if the leaders of Israel, they were given the privilege of leading God's chosen people. What an honor. Can you imagine that? Being like, hey, you guys get a chance to do this. And then like being like, well, God, we kind of liked your way, but what if we added some other stuff to it? What if we added some rules? What if we kind of made it our own way? That's the, that's the temptation of every church leader. What if we kind of did it our way instead of your way, God? What if we pointed, about, pointed up to ourselves? What if we platformed a leader instead of platforming you, Jesus? These temptations exist still today and they exist in your life. What if I took the gifts that you gave me, God, my talents, my smarts, my um, energy, and put it towards something else? Like, not you. Like, you, you, you gave me something, but maybe I don't need to use it towards that. 
So as we start with that question, that, that thought, you are in charge, God is putting you in charge of something, the reality is it is not yours in the first place. That small group discussion that I led, it wasn't my small group that I led. It was, I was offered an opportunity to lead it. The mission trip team that I led, I was not in charge of that. I was just asked to keep, care for a team. Um, it was somebody else's. Your degree is God's. Your career is God's. It doesn't mean you need to become a missionary, but it means you need to think, what does the vineyard owner want me to do with my life? How would I tend to the crops that he has given me? So the tenants who Jesus is critiquing um, are stewards of what God has given them. And therefore, if we think about this in, in this series in Mark, we've been doing this over and over again, life with, like, and for Jesus. If I think about this particular passage, this passage is about life for Jesus. And life for Jesus is a life of stewardship. Consider what you've been given and consider how you will take care of it because it is your heavenly fathers who gave it to you. So well, actually, if this is helpful for you guys, if you, if you need these kind of exercises, pull your phone out, pull a piece of paper out. What are you stewarding? And if you just need to take a mental note, what has God given you What's God putting in your heart right now that you are caring for? Is it a person? Is it an apartment? <laughs> Is it a career path? Is it your stuff that you're just like sort of lax with? You're like, yeah, if it breaks, it breaks. What are you a steward of? What has God given you the opportunity to be in charge of? And then as you think about that, I would invite you to also, maybe this is something you do this week. Maybe take these two questions. What has God put me in charge of? And then where has God sent messengers that I need to be corrected in what I'm in charge of? This makes sense. So God sent the messengers, or the, the vineyard owner sent the messengers saying, hey, like, I need this, and they resisted. So where is God sending something in your life? Where is God pointing something out that you're like, oh, I'm in charge of this, and I think I'm trying to take more charge of it than God has given me. Does that make sense? Like, I'm trying to like, well, maybe God, you know, that's yours, but like, it's kind of mine now. And so what can I do with it? But like, where, where is God inviting you to kind of repent and to turn back to his way with the stuff you've been given the opportunity to take care of? So what are you stewarding? And how do you need to repent of how you're stewarding it? Where has God invited you with your very life even? Have you considered it your own or have you considered it Christ's? Right? Do you want to be the vineyard who is saved or do you want to be the tenant who is raised to the ground? I invite you to submit your life to Jesus in every way. The tenants of the farm, their behavior is really normal. And it gets normal, it gets more normal as you get older because you get in charge of more stuff and so you think you have more authority in your life. And so you feel like a little more puffed up and you feel like you have more opportunity to separate yourself from God. But that is just a big fat lie. That's what these tenants did. They, again, they said, well, we kind of got ourselves down this hole of walking away from the, the vineyard owner in the first place. And so let's keep going down that path instead of turning away from it. And so as you get older, as you gain more responsibility in your life, remember, God has given you every bit of it. It's not yours. So all that to say, God loves you. And he has given you stuff to care for because he loves you. He's not giving you stuff because he's a mean master, but because he trusts you and he cares for you. Life for Jesus is a life of stewardship. 
And so with that, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing to the God we are a steward of things for. Sound good?